What if every song on the radio were the same? What if all of our music were the same key, the same subject, the same tempo? It would be boring, and we would stop listening. But God is not boring, and neither are His songs, which means we can come to Him in any and every emotional state we find ourselves in. Pastor Doug Logan says, God is worthy of praise, even on a bad day. He's good because of who He is. Feel the pain, trial, anguish, joy, celebration, and justice as we further understand what it means to know the God of the Bible. Let's marinate in the Psalms as this ancient poetry washes over us, refining us, changing us for His good. What a joy to learn there is no pretending in Christ. God allows us to weep, sing, shout, laugh, and even lament. Join us as we go deeper with God. Join us as we revel in His songs. Join us for these songs of freedom. Good to be with you guys today. Uh, amen. Come on. Uh, it's good to be in the AC as well. And uh, it's good that we're starting to finish up the series. We only have a couple more um, in the Psalms, and then I'm just really excited for our next series. I think I'm always excited for the next series. Um, and uh, I just can't wait to tell you guys what it is. Uh, but it's, um, yeah, we're going to be back in the Gospels, and we're going to be talking about Jesus, which is, you know, pretty cool for a church to do, right? Um, so today we're going to be in Psalm 119. <clears throat> Psalm 119. So I have several favorite restaurants. Um, Ashley and I have worked really hard to try and have a date night once uh, a week. It's like our goal, you know. Um, we try to serve others as well as we can, but then we try and make sure that we get that date night. It doesn't always happen, but, um, but we do often get the date night. And when we do... But we have food. Um, for, for me, I have celiac disease, and so um, I have a limited diet, and so that means that on Saturday night, we get down and we go find some food that is tasty and gluten-free. And so I have several favorites. Um, one is this Lanboon Thai Cafe that's on 47th and Market. I really like it. I get Pad Thai and Tom Ka there, but mostly Pad Thai. Um, the other, ta Tacos al Gordo. I don't know if you guys have had that. The Adobada, carne asada tacos. I don't like the lingue. Um, I've never tried it. I'm just going to be honest. Um, there's this place called Pho Saigon Bliss. Pho Saigon Bliss. And uh, it's got gluten-free egg rolls, which is like something that I didn't know existed until I had them. Um, there's a place called Buena Forqueta in South Park. Yes. It has gluten-free pizza. <laughs> if, I'm just saying, you guys, when I say something about Jesus and you guys had a bigger reaction to the pizza, I'm going to be mad at you later. <laughs> um, and then there's a place called Bon Thai, and they have Patsyu, and they have this yellow curry that I love. Um, it's like these places are my favorite places to eat. They're oh so good. Um, when I go to those places, though, what happens is, is I often eat the same thing. Um, I don't know if you have that thing. Like you have that place you go, and the thing that you like there so much um, 
causes you to only eat that thing. And so anytime you go there, they have all these great things, but you don't want to take a risk. Like, how often do you get to eat out? This is the day that you're going to get that thing that you always wanted, right? Um, the problem is, is that what happens is, is like, we'll be like, hey, um, let's go to that one place. And then the person will say, well, I don't feel like pad thai. And it's like, but they have all these other things, you know? Um, but I don't feel like pad thai. Okay, well, you know, then I guess we're not going to go there. So, so here's the thing. A lot of times we look at Psalm 119, this verse, and it's repetitive, and there's a lot in it, and you kind of look at it like it's just one meal, like it's just one thing. And, and we limit Psalm 119 to just what it seems like on the surface. And I, I'm just going to tell you there's a whole lot more here than first meets the eye. Don't come expecting just one serving. Like, this is full of servings. And if I had um, the ability to just preach several sermons and I hadn't already planned ahead for a year, I might just do several sermons on Psalm 119. But today, we're going to do one. And we're going to give you a little bit of an overview, and then we're just going to zoom in on a couple different spots, okay? Um, Psalm 119 is spicy, and it's sad, and it's joyful, and it's everything else when we look below the surface. Um, I like to think... um, that it's like we've been eating pad thai, though, when we've been reading it, like just pad thai. And now we're seeing there's an entire menu about God's glory and God's goodness when we look at this section. I'm going to get off the pad thai, okay? So um, the thing is, is, when we read in growth groups, I don't know how many of you guys have been in a growth group together where we read through the Bible together, and one of the things that we do to identify what this verse is about is repeated themes, words, or images. Um, there are repeated words, themes, or images. We have Bibles available in the back, Um, if you need one, um, and you can have it, or you can just read it for today. Um, But in, so I like to use a highlighter, like, and I like to use a highlighter because it helps me to envision things, helps me to see organization and things like that. Also, my wife hates it because there's like highlighter all over our our bed sheets and my clothes and in my pockets. Um, But I use highlighter a lot. Now, um, you probably can't see, but here I have highlighted Psalm 119. Um, and there's a whole lot of pink up in here, right? Let me just read you a little bit of the, the pinks that I've highlighted. Instruction, decrees, commands, statutes, judgments, statutes, word, commands, word, statutes, judgments, decrees, precepts, statutes, word, word, instruction, commands, precepts, your promise, decrees, instruction, judgments, precepts, judgments, word, Command, commands, precepts, statutes, judgments, instructions, instructions, word, commands, statutes, precepts, righteous judgments, decrees, precepts, instructions, word, your promise, instructions, statutes, judgments, decrees, precepts, instructions, word, promise. Okay, so I'm not going to go through all of them, and I actually was skipping through, but there are some repeated themes, words, or images in Psalm 119, and it's about the word of God, the law of God. Charles Spurgeon says this about Psalm 119. Remember, he's like this old English dude, so you got to like listen hard. Placid on the surface as the sea of glass before the eternal throne, it yet contains within its depths an ocean of fire. And those who devoutly gaze into it, Psalm 119, shall not only see the brightness, but feel the glow of the sacred flame. It contains no idle word, The grapes of this cluster are almost to bursting full with the new wine of the kingdom. That dude knew how to talk, right? He knew how to write, too. And when he wrote about Psalm 119, what he's saying is there is so much here. It is rich. 
God's word is sharper than a double-edged sword. And if you'll permit me, I have chosen three ripe clusters that we should feed from its sweet nectar in the word today. Please allow it to pierce your heart as it should. And maybe you will pick up a new flavor this time. So we have Bibles in the back. And what I'm going to do is I'm going to ask you to turn to Psalm 119 or just listen. But I also want you to go back and check my work because um, I, I want you to know that I preach from the Bible. So we're in Psalm 119. And I'm going to skip through. So if you get lost, just start listening, okay? Now, Psalm 119, 105. Your word is a lamp for my feet and a light on my path. Psalm 119, 105. Your word is a lamp for my feet and a light on my path. Now I'm going to skip down to 109 through 112. My life is constantly in danger, yet I do not forget your instruction. The wicked have set a trap for me, but I have not wandered from your precepts. I have your decrees as a heritage forever. Indeed, they are the joy of my heart. I am resolved to obey your statutes to the very end. Now, last time, I'm going to skip you down. Psalm 119, 123 through 124. My eyes grow weary looking for your salvation and for your righteous promise. Deal with your servant based on your faithful love. Teach me your statutes. This is God's word. Would you pray with me? Father, you are the source of our hope. You are our peace. You are our salvation. You have saved us from death, pain, and much suffering around us that we don't even know about. For those today who suffer from addiction, we ask that you would break the chains, Lord. For those um, marriages in our community that suffer today, would you shine your light on them? For those who are lonely this morning, would you comfort them? For those who are sick, we ask healing. For those who are mentally ill, we ask for deliverance from their suffering by doctors, medicine, or supernatural healing. God, we ask that this neighborhood would continue to grow in the ways that we can reflect your love. Thank you that no matter what we walk through, you are in the midst, and you will never leave us nor forsake us. May the words of my mouth and the thoughts of our hearts be pleasing to you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So, Psalm 19. It's kind of overwhelming. And so we're just breaking it down a little bit today. And I just want to look real quickly at Psalm 119 itself, what it is. Psalm 119 is the longest chapter in all of Scripture. Okay? Um, uh, we also know that Psalm 119 is um, about the length of 22 of the other Psalms. Um, why is it the length of 22 Psalms? Well, that's because it is an acrostic. It is based on the Hebrew alphabet. And so for every piece, every letter of the Hebrew alphabet, we have eight lines um, to help explain who God is, why his word is good, why his law is good, and how it benefits the believer. So, um, while there are several subjects in Psalm 119, there is a main subject, the law. The word is from God, it is useful, it is beautiful, and it is life-saving. It is used interchangeably, we saw, uh, in many different ways. We see the law of the Lord, which is the Hebrew la Torah, which means instruction and teaching. We see testimonies, those are things that talk about who God is. Those are God's word about who God is and what he's done. Um, we see precepts, decrees, commands, those things that need to be obeyed about God. The law is our very best counselor here in this case. But we listen to it and you will become wise. So I'm going to give you our first point, and it is this. God's word lights the way. Point number one is God's word lights the way. 
Psalm 105, what did it say? It said, your word is a lamp for my feet and a light on my path. Now the Africa Bible commentary, it says this. When the psalmist wrote these words, lamps gave only dim light. They did not illuminate the whole road ahead, but simply showed the person carrying the lamp the next few steps of the path. Others in my extensive reading, um, because I had to do extensive reading on Psalm 119, have mentioned that these lamps could have just been tiny little torches. Tiny little torches that one would carry in the night. It would be helpful, but it's not the sun, right? Just helpful enough to see right in front of you. Now, D.A. Carson says this about the Word of God. He says, not only does it teach me certain things, it teaches me where to go and how to walk. Your Word is a lamp for my feet and a light on my path. So what does it mean for the Word of God to be a lamp to your feet, a guide for your path? Well, many in the ancient world would have seen this as the difference between life and death. If you were walking at night on a road in between two cities, you know that burglars lined those paths, waiting for someone dumb enough to walk, waiting for someone who might just uh, slowly walk through where they have waited for them. Thieves, traps line the highways of antiquity, and you were forced to walk at night without a light. If you were forced to do that, you were in serious trouble. You were in danger. But now, we're okay, right? We got street lamps. We have GPS, right? Like, if we need to get somewhere, we could almost have our kids put in our phones where to go. This passage doesn't apply to us, right? We don't need a lamp unto our feet. Um, We don't need a guide in the dark. We have guides all around us. We just press a couple buttons. We tell Siri where to take us, and boom, bang, bing, boom, bomb, uh, GPS is all we need. But here's the thing. Technology and all these other things around us are not as reliable as we would like to think. In 2016, the Navy started training sailors in celestial navigation or astro-navigation again. Why? Why would they train them to go by the stars again, this ancient way around? Well, the Navy suspects that Russia has begun using GPS jammers against our military, meaning that our global positioning system, our GPS, that uses satellites, is no longer completely trustworthy in military battles. Apparently, China is trying to develop the same technology as well. I guess they're not sharing. And so we are training America's finest to look at the stars again. How cool is that? Like Magellan did in the 1500s, our Navy is looking up at the stars again for guidance. Friends, you may have other ways to light your path right now. You might have friends, movies, family, TV shows, books, newspapers, and don't forget blogs, giving you advice right now, but those things cannot last. There may come a moment when all the other voices in your life will prove themselves unreliable in the face of struggle. And as much as we try to be there for each other, as much as the church has to be there for each other, there will be times when we are unreliable, right? Because we're human. They'll get jammed up. Your friends will be jammed up. Those voices will fade to black and you may find yourself floating in the middle of the Pacific Ocean, silent, alone, helpless, hopeless. Maybe some of you feel that way right now. It is then that we look to the stars, our timeless guide. Oh Lord, your word is a lamp for my feet and a light to my path. Anytime anyone gives us advice, we should always ask the question, does this align with the word of God? Anytime you give yourself advice, because you're even worse than your friends, um, ask yourself, does this align with the word of God? 
It seems simple, but it's really hard, isn't it? That's right. Thank you. So God's word helps you to see the snares and traps set for you in the dark. In the same way, this is how we get our second point. Point number two is that God's consistent word protects us from evil. God's consistent word protects us from evil. Verse 109. It's amazing to say verse 109. Can you believe that? My life is constantly in danger, yet I do not forget your instruction. The wicked have set a trap for me, but I have not wandered from your precepts. I have your decrees as a heritage forever. Indeed, they are the joy of my heart. I'm resolved to obey your statutes to the very very end. So we're seeing that a consistent reading of God's word protects you till the very end. My life is constantly in in danger, but I do not forget your instruction. This is the word written on one's heart when you are attacked. Now, Pastor J.D. Greer says this. He says, every time we encounter the word of God, an unseen world of spiritual forces is at work. We don't usually think about this since our experience, for instance, reading the Bible or listening to a sermon feels so patently mundane. Yeah, it's kind of like that day to day, right? Like it feels more like putting gas in your car than experiencing something at times. When you're in a sermon, when you're reading the Bible, it doesn't feel like this is war. It feels like this is an easy calf exercise, doesn't it? Now, but 1 Peter 5, 8 um, through 11 says this. 1 Peter 5, 8 through 11 says this. Be sober-minded. Be alert. Your adversary, the devil, is prowling around like a roaring lion, looking for anyone he can devour. Guys, we don't think that this is a, a children's story. We don't think that the devil is fake. We don't think that we should give him uh, any glory. We don't think that we should fear him in the same way that we fear God. But we have to understand him and respect him and believe in him. It says, resist him. Firm in the faith, knowing that the same kind of sufferings are being experienced by your fellow believers throughout the world. The God of all grace, who called you to his eternal glory in Christ, will restore, establish, strengthen, and support you after you have suffered a little while. To him be dominion forever. Amen. So I remember when I was a new Christian, and I used to go to to meet with this guy, this pastor. And I would go to his office once a week, and you guys know about the highlighter thing. I had highlighted my Bible, and I had question marks all throughout it, like, what the crap does this mean? What does this mean? What does this mean? What does this mean? And he would just take me through it line by line. Okay, here's what this means. Here's what this means. And I remember going to him and saying, what does God of this world mean? Why is the Bible talking about a God of this world? And why is God lowercase? And um, he said, Dale, you dummy. Um, No, he didn't say that. He was nice, but he pointed out that it was a lowercase g. So the question is, who is the God of this world? We know that this is the devil. And it's interesting that it doesn't say the God of heaven in lowercase. It's the God of this world. So something is happening in this world where he has a reign. And the protection that we have from this God of this world is in God's word. And we are to write it on our hearts. Reading your Bible is an act of spiritual warfare. Being involved in a church is an act of war against the devil, especially when we disagree with each other. Because we say there is nothing that can stop God's kingdom when we say he is bigger than the God of this world. When we share the gospel with our neighbors, our friends, it is an attack that lasts generations. 
Satan is the God of this world, and he will do everything to keep you in the world and not involved in the kingdom of God. And I say to you, friends, do not go that way. Look to God's word and see that it will protect you in crisis. Fight back against the kingdom of darkness and read the word of God. And I know at times it will feel like a simple calf exercise. I know at times it'll just feel like you're stretching, but I want you to know it is an assault against darkness. When we come here and gather together, it is an act of warfare. It is dropping bombs on the devil. It is saying that this is God's place. It is saying that this community is God's not the devil's, and he can't have it. And as much as he comes at us, we know that the more we know the word of God, the more it's written on our heart, the more we trust the Holy Spirit to fight against darkness, the more that he will flee, the more the devil will flee, the God of this world, the lowercase God of this world. Now, we do this, and we, we encourage you to read the Bible daily. We encourage you to be a part of a church weekly. We encourage you to be invested in each other's lives daily. But many times we kind of just think like we could just do the sum. And the thing is, is I will say this to you. God's grace is sufficient. And you know what? If you do find yourself not investing in God's church, not investing in his word, he's still really good. And so I don't know what that means in all of this, but I know that he's good and he loves you and he will pursue you anyway. Um, but what I will say is there are many children in this school who eat breakfast and eat lunch and don't eat dinner. That's just a part of what happens in our community, and that's just a reality. They don't eat dinner. So um, on the weekends, they don't eat as well. They don't eat on, on Saturday or Sunday. Um, so what did the school do? The school started sending home backpacks with our kids. Like our kids were coming home with backpacks full of food for the weekend because we know that just eating a few times a week is not as good as eating every, every day, all right? In the same way, we have this food pantry out here because we know eating a few times a week is not as good as eating every day. That's why your friends have contributed to this. We contribute, every person here either takes or gives to this food pantry because we love each other, we care for each other, and we believe you should eat every day. And we see that the Bible is the same way. You should eat every day from the Bible. You should write his word on your heart. How about I put it this way? Um, when I make carne asada, that's basically just flank steak, right? Like thinly sliced steak, right? But that's not really carne asada if it's just flank steak, right? Like you got to do something with it, right? So um, let me ask you this. Do you add the spices, the cilantro, the onions, the lime, uh, the beer to the flank steak right before you serve it? Of course not. Do you add it on the grill? Sometimes you might pour, like I had friends that it would be like one for you, one for me. I know about that. But for the most part, you would marinate it, right? You put the meat in a marinade and sometimes you put it with like some lime or something that helps to break down the meat a little bit ahead of time. It has to marinate. Why do we think that we can splash the word on us once a week or twice a week or once a month and that it will change us in the same way if we were not marinating in it? Why do we think that? I think it's because in many ways, like, it feels boring to read the word sometimes. It feels weird to go to church sometimes. And yet, here we see that God's word will protect you from the evil one. Now, uh, here's your pastor up here telling you, church is good, read your Bible. And you kind of, like, I know for me, in the back of my head, I kind of always have that, well, that benefits you, pastor, because, like, you want to have people in the church. And I will say to you, this is why I'm a pastor, not the other way around. 
because I desire so much for your relationship to be closer to God, to each other. And I believe that God's word is a double-edged sword that pierces the heart. And I truly believe that if you make a habit of reading God's word daily, if you make a habit of meeting with God's church, you will be blessed. You will be encouraged. And sometimes you will be bored. But I promise you that when the day comes, when the storms come, when you're left out on that boat alone with nothing to look for but the lights in the sky, that is the time that God's word will shine brightly for you. Amen. So don't throw the word of God on at the last minute. Let it stick. Let yourself soak in it. We have to meditate on the word of God. We have to teach it to each other and speak it to each other. I know if you're like me, sometimes when I teach something to someone, it stays better. So we have to teach it to each other. This way, when the devil attacks, we are steeped in the love of Christ. Now, interestingly enough, it seems that the psalmist here not only considers the law a light to our path or a safety net on the road to salvation, but the word is our salvation. Now that's interesting, right? Because um, we don't want to turn like a book here into an idol, do we? But what if the word means more than the book? What if the word means more than the book? So point three is this. The word is fulfilled in Jesus. The word is fulfilled in Jesus. Verse 123 through 124. My eyes grow weary looking for your salvation and for your righteous promise. Deal with your servant based on your faithful love. Teach me your statutes. The psalmist here is pleading. He's saying, Lord, I cannot save myself. He's saying, save me. I cannot hold on much longer. It's like if you've seen those movies, like you guys know, like we've seen a million of these movies where someone's like on the edge of a skyscraper and you see like now it's down to like four fingers hanging onto the edge or someone's falling off a cliff and they've got that like plant by the rope and they're just, the, the roots are starting to pull out of the plant and they're starting to fall. It's like every Indiana Jones movie. Um, but this is where the psalmist is saying, he's saying, I'm slipping, Lord. I am falling. And if I have to do this myself, I can't. Now, uh, Basil the Great said the Old Testament, particularly God's law was, quote, an artificial light, imperfectly illuminating the darkness where the gospel given by the Lord Jesus Christ himself is a light of the sun of righteousness giving brightness to all things. He's saying the Old Testament, that's a nice little flashlight you got there, but Jesus is the sun that shines down on us and brightens the entire way. That's why people walk on those ancient paths during the day because they can see all around them. Jesus illuminates everything, brings brightness to everything. Jesus sheds light even on the law because he is the word. Now, many of you have probably already heard John 1, 1 through 5. I feel like a lot of people know this. It says this, in the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. He was with God in the beginning. All things were created through him. Hey, I'm just going to say, we love her being here. Let it happen. It's all good. All things were created through him, and apart from him, not one thing was created that has been created. In him was life, and that life is the light of men. That light shines in the darkness, and yet the darkness did not overcome it. So we see this light unto our path that seems like this Old Testament law, but Jesus is the fulfillment of the law, and it is no longer just that lantern. It is the brightness of the sun, the brightness of the day. The law in the Old Testament, it's kind of like a doctor who can tell you you are sick, but he can't do anything about it. All its purpose is is to tell you you're sick. It's an x-ray machine. Nobody goes into an x-ray machine and comes out and says, I'm healed from the x-ray machine. That's not the way it works. 
But for us who no longer walk in the dark, friends, the word is the medicine that can fix you, and the word is Jesus Christ. The medicine is Jesus, and we call this the gospel. That in our great sickness, in our great illness, in our great blindness, and I don't know, some of you guys might have glasses, but I understand the blindness, that Jesus was the only way we could find ourselves made right with God. That we had an eternal debt that could not be paid by our goodness. And so Jesus willingly, the Father sent Jesus to earth. That Jesus willingly came to earth, willingly died. We like to say he was murdered, but he allowed this so that he might die a sacrifice for you. Why? Because he loves you. He cares for you. And he cares enough to die for you. He cares enough to live a life on earth as a perfect sacrifice, have his beard pulled out, be abused up until the point of death to die on a cross so that you might have life. And he doesn't look at you and he's not mad at you. He knows that you mess up and yet his light is so much brighter than your darkness. And he shines upon even the darkest places in you and he pronounces you good because of his sacrifice. He looks at you and he says, you are good. And there is no sin that can out-sin God's grace. There's nothing in you that you could do that is worse than what God did for you. And so we see his true love for you made manifest in his willingness to die for you. And that is the gospel, friends, that when he conquered sin and death, when he rose again, he declared it finished. The psalmist was waiting for something great to happen, right? And we get to enjoy it today. He was dying for, he was pining for, he was aching for this gospel that we have the privilege and joy of enjoying today. He was asking God, deal with your servant based on your faithful love. He doesn't say, deal with your servant based on my righteousness, because he knew he wasn't good enough. He was saying, on your faithful love, deal with your servant based on your mercy, not mine. Now, Galatians 3.10 says this, all who rely on the works of the law are under a curse because it is written, everyone who does not do everything written in the book of the law is cursed. But then in verse 13, it says, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. That is beautiful news. I'm sweating, like talking about it. I'm just all excited. I need a hanky. Um, Here's the thing. Here in this psalm, there was a man who was waiting for salvation. And he couldn't do anything about it but sit and wait and hope. There's something about waiting a long time for something beautiful that when it finally appears, you find a joy, you find a next level of joy you didn't even know you had. Okay, so so since I was a little kid, I've waited for the Padres to win a World Series. I remember when we had Tony Gwynn and Ken Caminetti and Andy Bennis and Steve Finley and Fred McGriff, and this small town ball club was going to go all the way, and then we met this team called the Yankees a couple times. No, I don't know who just woohooed, but there's going to be some church discipline a little bit later. Um, I have pined to see my hometown Padres win, and there was another team uh, that shall not be named that I, I wanted as well. Uh, a few years ago, the Padres went out and got a whole ton of stars. They spent a ton of money on these stars. And it was super fun and exciting. Like, I was like, oh, we got these guys. And then after a few months of losing, what they do? They shipped them all off, right? Just as the Padres do. Since then, our team has seemed to go downhill. 
But now we have the number one rated farm team in all of baseball. And once again, I am saying the same thing most Padre fans say. Quote, they're going to be great next year. And some of us have been saying they're going to be awesome in 2020 because, you know, they're, they're young, you know. We may not believe it, but Padre fans really feel this deep in our guts, right? Like, we have... So you can say us Padre fans are dishonest when we say we think we're going to win next year. I call it optimistic. Delusional. Delusional, thank you. But one day, one day, one day, the Padres will win the World Series. And my great-great-grandkids will help me out of my easy chair. And I will celebrate in the streets with them. I will celebrate for my grandpa Fred. I will celebrate for my dad. It will be the craziest party you've ever seen when the Padres win the World Series. Kids will skip school. I will take my kids out of school. And if, if it's my grandkids, I'll take them out of school. And if I got no kids left, I will take some other kids out of school just to take them downtown to celebrate, to say this is the day that San Diego sports came out on top. Now, I pine for this every year. Even when I'm mad at my Padres for always trading away my favorite players, you better believe that every day I will check the score, that every year I will go to several games because I want to see them win so bad. I want to see them win for my family. I want to see them win for my city. I want to see them win because I want to see them win. I pine for a sports team. I, I like... I. I have trouble sleeping when they lose at a big game. But here you have a psalmist waiting for Jesus, waiting for salvation. To make it worse, how about the people of Israel? Like, how would it feel to be where you are not in control of your own homeland, where you are oppressed by foreign kings, and you are saying, God, God, come Lord Jesus, come Yeshua, come save our people. Come someone, Messiah, and help us from this oppression. And you're waiting and you're pining and you're hoping. You're oppressed for years. But then, then, Jesus, the word is made flesh. And the hoping and the pining, it's nothing like waiting for a sports team to win. It is like hoping for your very lives that you will be redeemed, that you will be saved, that you will be free from bondage. And here, friends, here, friends, we have been enslaved in bondage to sin. Sin enslaves us with no intention of ever letting go because the God of this world wants to use it against us. He wants to use it to separate us from each other, separate us from our families, separate us from God's word so that we might be alone and easier to attack. But friends... If you have addiction, if you are stuck, if life has become made about you, do your, quote, one, Psalm 123, uh, do your eyes grow weary looking for salvation and for righteous promise? Friends, I have good news for you. It is only found in Jesus. And friends, if you have been waiting to be free from sin, Jesus desires to help you. The promise has been fulfilled. It's finally here. Let's allow God to be our guide and our savior. For 700 years, they waited for the free gift. They were told it's coming. And they waited and they waited and they waited until one day the consolation of Israel, Jesus Christ came and saved us.
Psalmist says in verse 112, I am resolved to obey your statutes to the very end. What it does not say is, I will obey your statutes once, once I reach the end. It does not say that. Because no, we have no idea when that is. But the gospel is not just for heaven, friends. If the gospel were for heaven, then the New Testament would be very short, wouldn't it? It would just be one line. Except Jesus. Cool. All right. At the end. Friends, I want us to be steeped and marinate in God's word. I want us to do it together. I want us to help and serve and, and encourage each other as we walk through this. But we have to make that decision. I'm resolved to obey your statutes till the very end. Do not be the person who waits until the end to accept him to be in Christ. Because you know what that's like? That's like that teenager that never takes a shower and then he throws on that Axe body spray at the end and he goes and tries to impress a girl. Like nobody's fooled by it, right? You need to steep yourself in a bath is what you need to do. And if you've been around teenagers, you know the smell of Axe body spray. It just won't work. But God's word will endure. And the gospel of Jesus Christ is here and available for us today. So maybe today is the day you give your life to Christ. Maybe today is the day you decide to begin to marinate in God's word. Let him be the light to your path. You don't need all this artificial junk around you. Steep yourself in the love of God because he is absolutely worth it. Friends, would you pray with me? God, Lord Jesus, light for our path. We thank you that you protect us. God, of all the mistakes we've made, we are here today because of you. In the midst of all of our bad decisions, we are here today because of you, and we are loved because of you. We are forgiven because of you. God, we don't deserve it. We've acted like a slave to sin. How have you looked down at us and decided that we were worthwhile? I have no idea, but I thank you. God, we ask for those of us who want to want your word, who desire to desire your word, that you would help to make that a reality, that we might thirst and hunger for your word, that we might know you better, that we might desire to be in each other's lives in the midst of our, our messiness. Father, you are so good. We ask your blessing on this time together. And in this moment, we confess silently our sins to you. Father, you look down upon us and see the righteousness of your son, Jesus. But God, I have to admit, sometimes we want to just like hold on to that sin because it just doesn't feel like we deserve to be forgiven. Because we've done it over and over and over and over again. We keep going back to it. Like, God, shouldn't we be better by now? And so we ask that you would not only forgive us, but that you would help us to turn the other way. You'd help us to turn to you.
You'd help us to embrace you. God, we ask that you'd protect us. God, we ask that you'd protect us from ourselves and our desires of what we would desire to do in the dark and that you might shine a bright light on all of it so that we might confess you as Lord every moment of our lives and you would shine a light for our path. Lord, we love you and we thank you for forgiving us. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.